Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a victory edition of the Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, going solo here post game after the Browns defeat the Broncos 17 14. Jordan can't join me. He's working post game for ESPN Cleveland, but I had to jump on and react here, guys, because. Whew. Browns fans, we can breathe a sigh of relief after that game. It wasn't pretty. I think Browns fans knew if we were going to win this game, it wasn't going to be pretty. But the Browns win a game and feels like really, you know, changed the direction of this season, at least for now, in a positive way. And takeaway-wise... For me, I really think the Browns organizational infrastructure won this game, which is pretty incredible because that's not something you could really ever say about this team over the last two decades. It's something that people have talked about with the Steelers, with the Ravens, even this season with all the injuries that they've had, but never Never the Browns, but that's really what I thought tonight was. It was an organizational win for this team. And it starts at the top. It starts with Andrew Barry because everybody knows that the Browns were injured coming into this game. It was the whole storyline pregame about all the Browns' different injuries. Some guys were in, some were out, you know, some were playing hurt. We find out just before the game. Donovan Peoples-Jones is all of a sudden injured in pregame warmups and isn't going to play. It's all the national broadcast was talking about how banged up the Browns were. But, but Andrew Barry built such a good roster that they were able to overcome that in this game. Dearness Johnson was the star of the night. He's the third string running back for this Browns team. He almost didn't even make this roster. Thank God that he did. And he was out there and just contributed in a massive, massive way. You've got a guy like Demetric Felton, a sixth-round pick. A lot of, you know, sixth-round picks aren't even going to make a roster like the Browns with a team this talented. But they they were able to identify a guy that late in the draft and then build, you know, his skill set into this offense in – a way that, that is threatening to defenses. And ultimately, they had a plan for him tonight, and he contributed in both the running and the passing game. All sorts of depth at tight end and receiver. And with how many injuries there were to this receiving core, both before the game and during the game, to continue to have guys produce there, to continue to have other guys to turn to, fullbacks getting involved, all that stuff is a testament to the Browns of building this roster to completeness at every level. And even a guy like Blake Hans, was he, you know, jump off the the page good? No, but was serviceable in, in a way at right tackle after playing left tackle, you know, the, the last couple of weeks. He's a guard, guys. He's been a guard in, in the NFL, but they identified him as somebody that that could play in other positions in a pinch. And he was able to do that. He was able to step up just top to bottom. The, the, the Browns had guys step up tonight and that's and I've gone this long too without mentioning Case Keenum 
a lot of teams don't sign a guy like Case Keenum. A lot of teams have the philosophy, you know, that if their starting quarterback goes out, their season is torpedoed. But with a roster as good as the Browns, when you're still not paying Baker Mayfield an insane amount of money, you should invest in a backup quarterback. We saw what that did for the Eagles with their run with Nick Foles. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Case Keenum and the Browns here, but when you've got a roster this good, you owe it to them to sign a, a backup who can get the job done because you're going to have that flexibility. That's what the Browns did. And Case Keenum delivered on that, at least for this game, and was able to deliver them a key victory, a critical victory at this juncture in the season. So it starts, as I said, with Andrew Barry at the top, the way he built this roster. Then the next level down, I, Kevin Stefanski masterclass of a game from a coaching perspective, both to have this team buttoned up so that all those guys could contribute. They clearly had, you know, packages for everybody to get them involved. Every, you know, I know there were some procedural penalties, but for the most part, this team was buttoned up. They executed the offense and that's a credit to him as a coach, but also to the guys around him on the staff to have a guy like Dearness Johnson, who hasn't really gotten many carries all season to be ready on a Thursday night in a spot like this. Uh, that not only comes from Kevin Stefanski, but from the running back coach, Stump Mitchell, and all the guys there too. And with Blake Hans moving around the offensive line, you know, Bill Callahan's got to help with that. And so it's a credit to Stefanski. And then, I mean, he, look, he came out the first drive, just punched the Broncos in the mouth, took the ball down the field, touchdown drive, and it brought immediate control to the game for the Browns. And it felt like Stefanski was in control, in control all game. The Broncos had a good drive. The Browns answered. The defense needed to stop, but they got it. It, it felt like every every time the Browns needed something, they delivered. I even liked the last drive. You know, they they went play action with Case Keenum on the first play, and again showing that they understood what they needed to do and calling the right place for it. Just an absolute. Great, great all-around job from Kevin Stefanski and the coaching staff to get ready for a Thursday night, too. We see how often teams are unprepared on a Thursday night, and that wasn't the case at all for the Browns. You know, even with a full week, most teams would struggle to integrate all of these guys in the offense the way the Browns did, and, and they were able to do it on, on really quick notice. So we've seen in many cases before that Stefanski's done a great job. We saw it with, you know, the COVID challenges last year and everything like that. But this was just another example of him being a master game planner and also a master in terms of all the things around the game as well, outside of just the play calling. And the last thing I'd single out is the leadership from, from the players. I am never a, a guy that that hammers on this stuff. I know Jordan does more so than I do. And, and frankly, it's just because I've been a bit jaded, well, you know, uh, being around uh, teams and covering teams because you hear so often, you know, these guys are going to come in and change the culture. Oh, we've changed the culture. Oh, this guy, you know, they will we'll hype him up as a leader. And then it doesn't actually do a lot for the team. And so after being around those teams for a while, as I said, it kind of makes me loathe to believe some of that stuff. But the Browns were without their starting quarterback in Baker Mayfield. Is there were a lot of negative things swirling around this team. And whether it was Stefanski, but I also do think the players had something to do with it. The Browns came in focused tonight. They clearly were able to tune out the noise and deliver in a key situation. 
I know Miles Garrett called a players meeting on the defense earlier this week, and that defense played a lot better. Uh, a guy like John Johnson, a veteran, came in and was able to step up his play after struggling the last couple of weeks. He didn't fold under the criticism. A guy like Jarvis Landry comes back and immediately provides stability and an energy to this offense. It, it, they got him involved on in the first play, and it was like, okay, here we go. We're fine. The, the Browns got this still. So all of that to me, uh, you could sense the leadership on this team as well uh, from multiple different players and a lot of the veteran guys in particular. It was just, it was refreshing to see. I'm just not sure Brown previous Browns teams would respond like that. I think there have been other times where we've been covering Browns teams that have folded under the pressure. I think we saw it in 2019, frankly, even with a lot of these same guys with Landry and Garrett and Baker, I think that team was unable to overcome, you know, the, the weight of failing under the expectations. And that was not the case with the Browns tonight. They really came through uh, in a tough spot. So, okay. That's, that's my opening uh, rant, if you will. But how did the Browns actually get this done? Uh, and I think it starts the offensive side of the ball. Look, it, it wasn't a barn burner by any means, only 17 points. But that, that almost undersells what the Browns did because they held the ball for a ton of time in this game. They absolutely squeezed the life out of the Broncos. And that was a key component of this Thir almost 37 minutes of possession time they were able to just work mechanically down the field they ha had the one you know field goal block they didn't finish you know in the red zone at the rate that they have been the last couple you know weeks but should have been 20 points and again really for the most part were, were pretty efficient in terms of their yards per play held onto the ball for a while it wasn't anything spectacular but again, they were limited in, in terms of, of the personnel. And Kevin Stefanski went to what he knew he had. You could see this on the first drive. Kevin Stefanski relied on his interior offensive line, the healthy guys, and they mashed the Broncos on that first drive. Absolutely caved in that defensive line. And the Browns got off to a great start because of that. They were able to march down and score and the whole game, uh, Kevin Stefanski used the screens, the run game, try to get his best players the ball, try to get them in optimal situations out in space, try to you know move the pocket so Keenum wasn't under too much pressure. I thought in general, it was a masterclass from Kevin Stefanski as far as being an offensive play caller. Of course, Dearness Johnson was also a huge part of this. There are just not many third string running backs uh, that are going to be able to produce like he did tonight. And I know everybody always says, you know, running backs don't matter. Running backs don't matter. And maybe this is a case for that because you've got a third string guy like Dearness Johnson. But I'm telling you, there are a lot of starters. There are a lot of backups who do not run as well as Dearness Johnson did in this game. So it, it, it's not that simple that you can just find a guy like Dearness Johnson because you can't, at least the way he played tonight. 22 carries, 146 yards, and a touchdown. Iced the game for Cleveland, even when they knew he was running. And that's the thing, right? Like, it wasn't like Dearness Johnson was facing light boxes all night. A lot of times the Browns were running this in obvious run situations, and he just ran the ball down the Broncos' throats in a way that was – extremely impressive. 
I thought he showed a, a bunch of different facets to his games. I thought he had a number of great cutbacks, really showing off his vision where he, you know, he hit a hole that might not have been where the design was, but he was able to find the opening. I thought he had great elusiveness too. There were two or three plays that should have been, you know, plays for loss that he then made, he just made a guy miss in the open field and was able to get back to the line of scrimmage or fought forward for a couple yard gain. I, it was a lot of impressive stuff on the tape there. Just great elusiveness. And yeah, the old line definitely had a part to play in it. I know there was like that one play they were showing Jed Wills just absolutely uh, cave in the defensive line and give Johnson a pretty big hole. But he trusted those guys. He followed those guys. And I thought he ran really hard between the tackles, outside the tackles. It was an all-around performance from Johnson. And I'm so happy for him, too. I think we got to just take a second his story is incredible. It's awesome. I, I, those stories, they don't get old. They're so cool. Anybody who doesn't think those things are, are yeah, bone chilling almost, I, I just don't, I don't get it because you, you see a guy like that undrafted, it's on a fishing boat in Florida. Then he goes, you know, playing minor league football in, in the AAF and, and then it's out here, you know, with the Browns barely making the roster. And now he has the night of his life. He's probably, you know, secured at least a contract for next season, if not beyond that. And, and you know, life-changing money for him and his family. And in the postgame, you just see how much it means to a guy like that. It, it had me emotional. I, I don't often watch the, the postgame interviews or, or pay all that much attention to him. But you could just see how happy he was, how, you know, how that night is going to change his life. I hope he stays with the Browns. It would be fantastic if they could find a way for him to stay with the Browns. It makes you think about, you know, Kareem Hunt and, and all of that stuff. But even if he doesn't, just what a night for that guy. You couldn't be happier for him. He deserves it. He, you know, he's fought through. He's he's made the roster in roster crunches. He sat and paid his dues. And now able to cash in like that, it's pretty great. As far as the rest of the offense, you know, Keenum. I, I think we got to talk about his performance. Overall, look, it was pretty limited. I think we can all be honest and say Keenum looked pretty limited out there, right? Like his arm strength is pretty limited. I know it was windy out there, but he threw up some ducks down the field. It was not uh, not very impressive in terms of that. I don't think he, he looked like he was uh, processing very quickly either. It felt like sometimes he was just stuck on his first read. There's the one play where like a couple guys were on Hooper and he just couldn't get off him. The one where he, early in the game, he threw the pick out of bounds uh, with OBJ where, where the guy couldn't get his feet down, but he just felt like he never came off OBJ there, even though he was about to be double covered with the safety coming over the top. So it wasn't great. I'm not going to pretend like, you know, the, the Browns should start Case Keenum going forward instead of Baker Mayfield if he is healthy, but it was enough. It was enough. Look, Keenum's accurate. He ran the offense well. He didn't make any critical mistakes. That's exactly what you're looking for out of a backup. So he did enough to get the job done. He is what the quintessential back, good backup quarterback is. Did enough in a, in a scenario like this to beat an average team, to beat a team that, that the Browns had the roster advantage in other places that he could capitalize on. He didn't make mistakes. But you also know, although he can win you a game, the idea of him winning long-term, multiple games, streaks of games against the very best, that feels a little unlikely. 
and that's okay. I, I mean, you're not going to get that out of your backup quarterback in most cases, but he was able to beat an, an average Broncos team. Uh, and that's at least good enough in what the Browns needed. Other than that, I thought the other big thing to point out on the offensive side of the ball was, was Jarvis Landry. He provided, you know, an instant air of stability on the offense. I thought, especially because Keenum was going to be limited downfield. Jarvis Landry is the best intermediate, you know, route runner on the Browns right now, even with Odell Beckham Jr. He, he's got a speed element there that when you pair him with, you know, a, a gadget player like Felton with the tight ends, now all of a sudden you've got your completeness in terms of options, right? You've got the traditional slot receiver. you got a gadget guy. you got the tight ends. Okay. Even though the Browns were going to be limited in terms of their explosiveness, at least they had a full complement of tools in the short and intermediate areas. And that's where they were able to do their Landry damage thanks to having Landry back. So he obviously got banged up at the end of the game. I'm hoping, hoping it was a bruise or something like that because it looked like he was trying to walk it off and I didn't see any weird twists or anything like that when he got tackled. So uh, that's maybe me being optimistic. We'll get more news on that. But I thought his return to the lineup was big tonight. And I know I saw a lot of people giving OBJ flack for his performance tonight. Guys, he was clearly pretty hurt. Uh, I, you know, I, I've been now, does he need to catch the ball if he's out there? Yes, he does need to catch the ball if he's out there. I don't understand what's happened to his hands and why they've worsened over the last several years, but his shoulder was also, also pretty hurt. You could tell that. I didn't think it was like anything egregious. He slipped on one. He dropped one. He caught a couple. Wasn't anything spectacular, but like, I'll, I'm not going to crush OBJ either for his performance. It was fine. I've watched the tape the last couple of weeks, guys. It doesn't take away from the fact that he's been open a ton the last couple of weeks either. So I want him on the Browns roster. We'll figure out all that stuff going forward. Not going to spend any more time on it now. On the defensive side of the football, look, they needed to step up. It was a dismal performance last week, and they did, especially early on, you know, no, zero points in the first half. I think they only gave up two first downs in the first half. And really, you know, the Broncos outside of that one long pass uh, down the sideline in the first half had absolutely no offense at all in the game. They really didn't have any offense. What are the 220 total yards? I mean, in this NFL, that's nothing. 180 passing yards and 41 rushing yards. Yeah. They, they did not move the ball at all really on this defense. Uh, you know, frankly, I think the 14 also is being kind to the Broncos in terms of it was a nice drive out of the half. I, I thought the Broncos made some nice adjustments there. Pat Shermer, also shout out Pat Shermer. Happy to see the Browns get a win against him. He was probably one of, if not my least favorite coach in, in Browns history. So, uh, but anyway, back to the, the defense. It, uh, Shermer did call a nice first drive, but then the second touchdown drive, not only were the Browns playing a little bit soft there in prevent defense, but I also thought uh, some calls went against the Browns there. I'm not going to belabor it. But it should have been a holding on Miles Garrett. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater got the fourth down either. So that, that was really strange, to be honest. But whatever, the Browns won the game. I, I'm not going to spend any more time on that either. But just overall, you know, with against limited offenses, the Browns are going to dominate this defense because their defensive line is just so disruptive that if you can't push the ball down the field quickly against the Browns, you're just forced into dumping down a lot. And that's exactly what the Broncos did. And then the Browns were able to come up and tackle. I thought a lot of their, you know, their ability to get off the field on third down, 
I thought a lot of their, you know, stops in general came from good tackling from the back seven. And that has not always been the case. It wasn't always the case in this game. There are a few missed tackles toward the end of the game, but some guys have definitely been critical of Mac Wilson, Anthony Walker, you know, some of those guys that have missed tackles in the past. I thought they tackled pretty well tonight. And I thought that's what made the difference in the game. So I got to be fair to them when they play well. And, and Joe Woods too, I, you know, I, did enough in this game uh, as far as mixing up some of the coverages. The Browns played a lot of press man on the outside against limited receivers. So I'm not sure how much that's going to stay, but they did it. They, you know, they mixed up some blitzes, blitzes and stuff like that. So I thought it was a nicely called game from Joe Woods. I thought you saw John Johnson in the box a little bit more, which was an adjustment, you know, that some of us on, on Brown's Twitter were, were screaming for. So all that is good. Do I think the defense is solved? Not really. I don't think we're going to know that until we face a much more explosive offense because pretty obvious that the Browns have faced some explosive offenses in the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Cardinals, and they've gotten lit up. They did stop the Vikings, who are a pretty explosive offense, but you know they, the Texans, the Bears, this Broncos offense, not going to take too much away from it, to be honest, because they are really limited at receiver uh, and beyond with all the injuries they have. So I just, again, good job. That's what they were supposed to do. I'm not going to pretend like everything is all hunky-dory in the long term, but thumbs up at, at least for tonight. All right. So now where do we go from here? Look, first of all, I mean, again, this is a huge win. To be four and three, I didn't call it a must win. I don't think it was a must win game just because I think with the, you know, they still had so many division games in their control, the Browns, but this is huge. You get to four and three, you get one in the win column, and now hopefully you can get some rest. The Browns desperately need this time off to get healthier. And even if Baker can't come back, getting a guy like Conklin back, you know, really getting this offensive line intact so they can dominate. You know, Jed Wills was out there tonight. He looked a little bit better, but even getting him even healthier for this game would be great. Uh, Landry and Beckham obviously both played, but both looked pretty banged up and then got more banged up. So, you know, getting them some time, Donovan Peoples-Jones some time, this is going to be huge for the Browns because not only were a lot of guys out, a lot of guys are playing that are not 100%. And with the bye week being so late for the Browns, there's not going to be a lot of time for these guys to get healthy other than this break. So I think that's really the number one focus, you know, going forward here is just how many guys can get healthy by the time they match up with Pittsburgh on Halloween. And then that's the next test. You get Pittsburgh. It's at home. But that's going to be a big game, too. It's going to be huge for divisional standings purposes. Uh, the AFC North, just when we thought, you know, wasn't as good this year. Well, the Steelers are in last place currently at three and three. So there's not a single team under 500. Now, do I am I as threatened by some of those teams as I have been in previous years? No, but there's not a lot of they're they're not gimmies. There are no gimmies in this division. Once again, the Bengals are, are better than I thought they were. The Steelers are still the Steelers, and of course, the Ravens are doing what they're doing. So, big game with the Steelers coming to town. I think it's gonna kind of be like this game, but even more pressure on the defense to lock it down because I think. If it's Case Keenum or if it's Baker Mayfield in a limited, you know, capacity, the Steelers could really, really get after the quarterback still. They, you know, their secondary has had its fair share of issues, and, and we'll dive into that more 
next week, but I've seen plenty of their team play. Their defense may not be as good as it was last year, but it is still quite good. And it's better than this Broncos defense and a Broncos defense, especially that was missing Vaughn Miller for the second half. So the, the Browns offense is going to have to, you know, step up here and probably play better even than it did in this game. And they're going to need help from the defense in terms of complimentary football, because I think once again, the Browns are going to see an offense that is not particularly explosive down the field. Now, the Steelers present some challenges for the Browns because they have some big receivers and we've seen Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward. They're just a short secondary. They don't have a lot of height. So some of these bigger receivers are a challenge for them in coverage. You see that at times. So the Steelers do have that, but they don't have a lot of explosiveness down the field. Big Ben's pretty limited. So the Browns are going to have to get after him again and try to limit the overall scoring in this game, because I think that's the formula for success right now, given what they're getting out of the quarterback position. So that is what we'll be awaiting here in 10 days. But Browns fans, in the meantime, take a deep breath, celebrate the win, enjoy a Sunday without the Browns playing. I'll still be watching all the games, but, you know, if you've got a family, friends, I, you know, hanging out with them is probably a good idea unless you're sick like me and still will watch 10 hours of football. But enjoy that Sunday off. Enjoy relaxing for a little bit and we'll be back at it next week, you know, doing a little bit of a mini buy reset and then previewing the Steelers game as well. This is a huge one. Browns 17, Broncos 14. Always good also to beat the Broncos. I wasn't, you know, alive for, for the 80s history, but I grew up being taught to hate the Broncos. I've got family in Denver, so always good to beat them too. Shout out to beating the Broncos Browns. Love that. All right. And until next time, Browns fans, go Browns.